0: hey everybody and welcome to victory life church online thanks josh for that great introduction to this week's message of faith hope and love just before we jump into the message for this week let's pray together over the offering that joshua has just facilitated in receiving and uh, then we'll jump straight into the word father thank you so much that we can come together from wherever we are in the world and so into your kingdom our time our treasure and our talent. Father, we are so very grateful that what you do with whatever we give you is multiply it, stretch it, and make it into something amazing. So Father, thank you for the hearts, the minds, the resources that we have just offered to you. We thank you, Lord, that you have enabled us to give right back to you. And we thank you, Lord, for all that you do in us. In Jesus' name, we pray. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Well, welcome to Faith, Hope and Love Part 2. And we started this journey last week during our weekend messages, and we were hoping that maybe you would come back for the second part during our midweek services. And if you're joining us it looked like it worked, so a very big welcome, not only to you there um, at home, but for those of us joining you here, uh, here in the room, a very big welcome to every one of you as well. Faith, hope, and love is what we're discussing, and here we are jumping already into part two. Now, we know that faith, hope, and love are the, are the key principles defined in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 13, which is our theme scripture, and we're going to read that again in a few moments. But what we remember from last week is that, or last time is that faith, hope, and love were given to us by God so that we could create or do something with them. Remember we said that God never expects something from you that He hasn't already given you. So He gave us these three qualities, faith, hope, and love, so that we can produce something from them. If you think of the story of the the men with the talents, the, the master gave them gold. In abundance, some five, some three, some one. And, and what happened was that they had to go away and do something with that. And Jesus said, the kingdom of the heavens is like this story. And so when he works with us in the kingdom, he never gives anything without expecting something in return. He, he knows that if he gives you something and you're faithful with it, something will grow out of it. And so he never expects something from you that he hasn't already given you. And that was one of the things that we learned last time together that, that is really part of this faith, hope, and love series that you do well. Maybe you write down in your journal, take out a piece of paper and, and write it down. Or if you're digital like me, just jump on the notes on the notes tab and you can get that expression and, and, and copy and paste it to a mail or to wherever you're going to put it. But one of the other things that we also learned uh, last time was that this This faith that we've been given produces in us a work, it produces us an energy, it produces in us something that that incites us, excites us to get going, to get moving and do something. And so we define this work produced by faith as a passionate expression of trust in God's provision. A passionate expression of trust in God's provision. When you don't have anything, when you feel like you have got nothing, you still step out like you have everything. It is a passionate expression of God's provision. We then had a look at those two key scriptures. 1 Corinthians 13.13 says that the, the three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And we discussed what it meant for love to be the greatest. Remember, we said that that love was the product of faith and hope. When God stepped out in faith, he gave his only begotten son faithfully, not knowing our response. It was a step of faith. Remember, Hebrews 11 verse 1 says that faith is the assured expectation of the things hoped for, though not yet beheld. God did not behold your choice, but he gave you free choice to choose whether or not you wanted to have faith in Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, so that whoever may believe, have faith in him, would be saved. And so God stepped out in faith, in an act of faith, and planted in you the ability to start a work, to start a new life based on the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it started with faith. Faith was that first work it was that first thing that was stirred up in you, and it got you needing more. It got you wanting more. It got you wanting to step up and do something. And so when your faith begins to make a work in you, then God gives you hope, which creates, according to First Thessalonians, it creates in you an endurance. And so when we have a look at that, God stirs faith in you to get you moving, and then gives you hope to give you endurance to keep you moving. And when we get up and we start celebrating what that scripture in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 3 does, we can change the world. Have a look at what it says. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So there we have it. Love is the greatest of these. Love is the product of your faith and your hope in action. You see, as soon as you start stirring up in your faith, as soon as you allow your faith to get you up, and then you allow the hope to get you moving in endurance, you're going to be telling a story of love. It's a story of love because it's an evidence of what God has done in your life through Jesus Christ, and it's a story of love to others because they will see your faith, they will see your hope, they will see your endurance, and as a result, will see your complete work Of God's love in your life. And so when we have a look at that scripture, it's the key to helping us understand what does it mean that the love is the greatest? Well, love is the product of faith and a hope. And so when we begin walking out that scripture, we begin seeing that faith is the trigger that gets us moving. It's the ignition that gets us sparked up. It's the the thing that gets us going towards a goal. And then God gives us hope to make sure that we can walk it out. Next week's message is entitled, Walk It Out. As we begin to unpack, as we move from faith into hope, how we can endure and we can keep going. We're not going to give up in the space of difficulty. We're not going to give up in the space of trouble. We're going to walk it out and we're going to keep on going. And then finally, love is your ultimate testimony to God's love in your life and as a result, your love of others as we have been commanded to love. And we're going to be having a look at that in a couple of sessions' time. We want to have a look today, though, understanding how faith starts things. How do we make sure that we're always in a space, in a mindset of getting going of being able to start despite difficulties despite the challenges of life despite that cancer re- racking through your body despite the pain that you have to put up with through broken relationships despite the hurts of your past despite all the challenges of financial issues in your life despite not having employee when you really want to employ no matter what your situation is how do we get up and make sure that we've always got the ability to start that work to start moving to go to to not stop to not Put down and be quiet and do nothing. Well, we're going to have a look at a story that we probably know very well. In fact, many of us would have heard the story, and it's the story of David defeating Goliath, and have a look at that story, and we've probably heard that story in Sunday school, or been taught that story, or uh, many, many speakers have used that story uh, from, a specific, from a position of igniting passion, from a position of, of showing that you can overcome, that you can you know, overcome your giants. Well, I want to take a look at that story today from a perspective of faith. And have a look at that story of David. Now, we know the story well. David gets instruction from his dad to come away from tending the sheep and and take some sandwiches to his brothers who were busy fighting a war at the time. Uh, fighting a war with a, a group of people called the Philistines. And the Philistines had, had this, this, this champion who was a giant. He was, he was tall, and he had a physique much like mine. No, 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 he, had a, he was strong, and he was big, and he was built well. And, and he, was, he was a champion of war, and, and he really wanted to go out and fight the Israelites. And he stood for days and days just taunting and shouting out insults at the, at the Israelites. Here comes the shepherd boy, David, um, and he has had a story with God already. He's, he's already been protected by God. He's already been given special gifts and talents by God. And, and he knows that he knows God. And he, he knows God in his life. And he, and he knows that he can get up and do things. Uh, if a bear came into the camp, he could get up and kill the bear. If a lion came into the camp, he could get up and kill the lion. He, he knew what he could do entrusted and empowered by God. And so, as a result, David walks into the camp. Uh, just a side story, he never gets the provisions, the sandwiches that he brought for his brothers to his brothers. No, there was there was somebody that he had to hand that all over to, it was the keeper of supplies, according to scripture, in 1 Samuel 17. And, and and he hands all these provisions over, knowing that that right, he's done his job now, according to what his dad has asked him to do. And he now goes and finds out from his brothers what's been happening. In this battle with this giant and with the Philistines. And while he's walking, you can imagine him while he's walking through the army ranks to find his brothers. He hears this giant, this big old giant, bellowing from the distance. Insult after insult after insult. And if you look at the insults in First Samuel chapter 17, you'll see they get progressively more and more and more aggressive towards the belief and the character of God. So the the insults start off with with just attacking the the weak and feeble Israelite soldiers. And as David's walking, he doesn't care that this Philistine is mocking his brothers and mocking the, 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 the army. And as he's talking to his brothers, he overhears this Philistine insult his God. And something inside of David snaps. And he says that that is not acceptable. In his life... He knew that God would always redeem his name and would always protect his people. He knew that. He knew what God's heart was and that it was unacceptable that this Philistine was standing there taunting his God. And so he begins a journey of getting permission from the king to go out and fight this Philistine with a sling and three stones. Well... We know the story. Saul tries, the king tries to put armor on him and give him a shield, and he shakes all of that off because he knows that he'll do it like he's always done it. The bears that he fought and killed probably stood as high as Goliath did. He knew what he had to do, and in faith, he got up and he did it. Was he scared? Of course, he was scared. Was it a massive task at hand? Of course it was. Was there a lot riding on it? His brother's very lives were riding on it. He knew that a lot rode on his next moment, but he knew that he couldn't sit still during that moment. He had to stand up and he had to do something. He, he found his faith ignition and he got moving. And we're going to start next week about discussing, once you get moving, how to stay moving. But right now, let's just get up and get moving. And so David walks out and he picks up some stones and we know the rest of the story. He runs out and he slays Goliath and uh, he comes up triumphant in the space of hardship. But he was ignited by a moment. And, and, And one of my good... Friends and, and people that, that I've, I've met over my life in, in guiding me in, in ministry is a, a, a pastor in Chicago, and, and he used to call this in fact, he's written the book about it, but he's, he used to call it that David's moment of holy discontent. He wasn't happy with the status quo being that this Philistine was taunting him. He wasn't happy that that, what was being said was going to be left unaddressed. And so something inside of him snapped. And you may have a holy discontent moment as well. You you might look on the TV and see uh, children being trafficked. And that's just not acceptable. And you can't rest until such time as you get up and you do something about it. Maybe you look at certain issues of of injustice in society. And you just cannot rest until righteousness has been reestablished in that moment. Maybe you look at situations right at home, around you, from wherever you are, within your family. And things that have been said need to be rectified. And things that have been done need to be resolved. Whatever it is, each one of us carry this moment of holy discontent. That moment of holy discontent when, as Popeye says it, you can stand no more. You want to get up and you want to do something with it. When you link that moment of holy discontent with the gift of faith that God has given you, that is when you will see mountains fall into the sea. You see, what you need to understand is that God has birthed in you through your circumstance, through your past, through all of the things that have influenced your life. He has put in the middle of you a moment, a a, a situation, a a thing of, of discontent that you will not find peace with until you resolve. Now, we're going to have a look at that just now, how that can either birth into anger or be birthed into passion. And we're going to have a look at what it means to allow that discontent, that feeling that I can make a difference here. I can change something for the good. I can make a big impact here. Changing that from being angry at it to being passionate and getting up and doing something about it. And so David had his moment of discontent. He can stand no more of that big giant taunting his God. And so he stands up And in his moment of holy discontent, it was a massively defining moment for him. He would go on and right the way out through his reign, he would permeate the theme that was set back there with Goliath. He would permeate a theme of always wanting God's name to be vindicated. He would permeate a theme of establishing God and worship of true God on the face of the earth. He would permeate a theme of ridding Anybody, getting rid of anybody who stood in the way of God and his kingdom. It was all set in that moment of holy discontent as David can stand no more, Mixed it with the faith he had from God and watched miracles happen. But how do we do that? How do we get from our place of discontent? How do we mirror our get up and go, find the stones and run at our giant kind of attitude? How do we move into a place of of growing in faith and moving and working in faith rather than doubt and excuse and having to put on armor and, and do other things in our lives like David was tempted to do? Well, we're going to discuss five key principles that are going to help you get into having a mind of a person who walks out in faith. The first is found in Romans chapter 4 and verse 19 to 25. Read it from the New Living Translation. Romans is a book. If you know your Bible a little bit, you'll find in the middle of the Bible a book called Psalms. Keep going to the right and you'll find what we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You're going to jump through a couple more books and you'll find a book called Romans, Romans chapter 4. It's in the second half of your Bible, if you're looking it up in a book. Otherwise, you can just scroll to the book of Romans on your Bible app if you have one. Romans chapter 4, verse 19 to 25 says this, And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though, everybody say even though, even though at about 100 years of age he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Just a bit of back story for those of you who aren't aware of the story of Abraham and Sarah. They had a very important baby um, later on in life. Um, and uh, you can see there it was even after or around when he was about 100 years of age. They had a very important child in the story of the Bible. And he was, he was walking out a story that God had given him that he would have this baby. He would have this son. And uh, he hadn't been seeing it come to fruition. Verse 20 continues, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. Now, while we're dealing with faith, we want to know how we can be strong in walking out and getting going. And there is a key. Did you notice that Abraham never wavered in the space of difficulty? Was his life coming together as God had promised? No. It was time ticking by and he felt unfulfilled. And he felt like he would never ever sing the story or sing the song that was in his heart. He was. He was feeling like it was slipping past him. Like he wouldn't be able to make the impact that he would really like to make in life. That he wouldn't get done what what all the desires and the dreams that were tumbling around inside of him. Do you feel like that sometimes? Do you feel like time is just marching on? Uh, Things are just falling apart around you and, and you're now expected to get up and live a life of passion when everything else around you seems to be failing? Well, that's exactly how Abraham felt. But notice that that situation that he was in, which wasn't a good one, strengthened his faith. It didn't weaken it. In the, in the midst of a difficult situation, we are strengthened in faith. Faith loves a challenge. Faith loves being able to get up and do what other people say it can't be done. Faith loves listening to the report of your doctor saying that you are going to die and watching that person go on and have an abundant life. Faith loves it when cancer is conquered in your body. When the world says you are good to go, faith says, no, you're good to go on. You see, faith loves the situation of difficulty. Faith thrives in difficult situations. And as a result of this, says verse 20, verse 20, Abraham brought glory to God. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit, it was recorded, but it was recorded for our benefit too, assuring that us, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe, if we have faith in Him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and He was raised to life. To make us right with God. So when we have a look at that, if we really believe, according to Romans, the book of Romans, that, hey, faith is a gift from God. And when we talk about gifts from God, they, we talk about them coming through His Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us these gifts. He is the imparter of gifts. So the Holy Spirit gives us this gift of faith. We don't have to work at it. We don't have to try and get it. No, God will never expect something from you un- unless He's already given it to you. He's not going to expect you to have a life of faith because he, unless He's given you a gift of faith. And so you don't have to conjure it up. You don't have to work it up. You don't have to try and create it. The gift of faith has already been given to you. And so if we have a look at that, if we allow the Spirit to give us this gift of faith, faith given to us by the Spirit grows stronger in adversity. I'm going to say that again. Faith given to us by the Spirit grows stronger in adversity. But faith conjured up by our flesh will fail in the midst of that difficulty. You see, when we allow our faith to be stirred up and given to us by the Spirit, we will grow in faith. We will thrive. We will want to get up. Our passion will increase. But when we try and conjure up our own energy to get something done, when we try and figure out our own way of sorting the problem out without doing it in faith, our passion will wane. Our passion will drop off. Oh, but Craig, you don't know the the difficulties I've had to face. You don't know the challenges. You know what? I love it. I, I mean, when I was growing up, my dad just, he had to tell me I couldn't do something to get me to do it. Am I the only spoiled brat in the house? You know, when, when your mom and your dad say, don't do this, what do you normally do? You run out and you do it. I remember one, clearly, we were, we were busy cutting the lawn and my dad had just bought a brand new, uh, we call it a weed eater, you call it a bushwhacker or an edge trimmer, whatever you want to call it. You know what I'm talking about, the one with the, the nylon that spins round and around and when you're this far from getting done, the nylon usually runs out, right? You know what I'm talking about. And then you have to go and find the nylon in the garage just to finish that little piece. Of... Anyway, I'm getting in the rabbit trail. But I remember clearly the one time this, this bushwhacker, weed eater, whatever you want to call it, was lying there, brand new. My dad was very proud of it because it was kind of a new thing back then to have a, a, an edge trimmer. And he said to me, I'm going to go and plug this in. Do not touch it. Well, as soon as I saw the little red light go on on the side of the bushwhacker or the weed eater, I had to. I just had to. Not because I needed to do the edges, no, but because my dad said I couldn't touch it. So, so I just found myself having to put this thing up and, and, and go. And my dad came around the corner. I think that was the biggest hiding I ever got was that day when I completely and utterly disobeyed his request. There's something inside the human spirit That when it says you shouldn't do it, you do it anyway. Well, I want to be a spoiled brat when it comes to the, you can't do it from Satan. When Satan says you can't be healed, I want to say, yes, I can. When when, when Satan says you're worthless and and you're downright rotten, I want to say, I'm a risen saint, loved by God. I am the beloved in whom he is well-pleased. I want that spirit to stir up in me that, that just loves the adversity that Satan brings me. And I want to be able to walk out, stand up and conquer whatever he says I can't conquer. I want to be like Jesus in the desert when he looks at Satan and Satan says you should do this or you should help yourself to that or you should try this. I want to look at him and say, no, 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 the word in me, which says that I'm more than a conqueror, also tells me what I need to do right now and believe what the word says rather than what the flesh says, rather than what Satan's saying. And I want to be a spoiled brat in Psalm 119 verse 42 is my spoiled brat scripture. It says this, then I can answer those who taunt me because I trust in the word of God. When Satan taunts me, I have the spoiled brat attitude that I can do what he says I can't do and I don't have to do the things he tells me I have to do. I can be completely opposite to what Satan in this world tells me to be. You see, that's the start of faith. Knowing that even though you're told one thing, knowing and trusting that you can give an answer because of your belief in what the Word of God is telling you. And so says Psalms 119 and verse 42. So the first thing we have to remember is we have to realize that we have to know the Word to be able to stand up in faith. We have to know within us what those promises are so we can counter the lies that are coming at us. And you know what? It's not just the lies that are coming at us. It's the lies on the inside of us that need to be combated too. We need to know what the promises of God are if we're going to walk in the life of faith. If we're going to have that spoiled brat attitude towards Satan, the devil, well then, you know what? We're going to need to know what our Father says about who we are. We're going to need to know what the Word says about what we can achieve. So point number one about walking a light of faith is get to know the promises of God. Get to know the promises of God. Number two, remember previous God moments. Remember previous interventions in your life by God. Have a look at what David did in 1 Samuel chapter 17, from verse 34 onwards. But David, say it with me, persisted. He would not give up. David persisted, I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it again to this pagan Philistine. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. You see, David remembered the times that God had rescued him. And so he had no doubt that God would and could rescue him again. And so when we quickly forget the miracles of God in our lives, we quickly lose sight of the possibility of God having or creating miracles in our lives. When we forget what God has already done, how He stepped out and met you when you were at your weakest, when He provided for you when you were at your least, when He gave to you when you didn't feel like you were worth having anything, that is when we need to remember what God has already done so we can always keep sight of what God is still yet to do. You see, if we walk like David in faith, we will always remember when we slayed the lion, when we slew the bear, when we put to death the things that were taunting us, when we resisted Satan, Jesus was there right at our side. And we know that he was there. And for those of you at home who haven't really formally received Jesus into your life, I think I know and I can relate to you and you can relate to what I'm saying right now is even though you might not have professed Jesus as your Lord and Savior and that you come out and said, yes, I'm Christian, you know what I'm talking about. Those moments in life where you just know that there was a higher power involved, that there was something else guiding you, that there was something else giving you that idea, that there was something else helping you along. Those something else moments for you, why don't you take a moment and just say, yes, that was God in my life. And sit down for a moment and write them down in a book, type them out in a journal, whatever you need to do. But remember the moments that God has already stepped into your life in the past, because it'll help you know that in the future, there'll be some God moments too. I was brought up in an environment where I couldn't really find God when I was there, but looking back in my life and having looking back in my situation as a child and what happened as I was growing up in South Africa, I can now see where God's hand was there. As a young man, I, I, I found myself having grand malepileptic seizures, and the doctors couldn't explain why my, my body would go into, into these seizures. And as a result of all that happened to me, I have to go through extensive amounts of medication and and I'd have to take tablets that a young boy shouldn't have to take. And then one day I, I walked into the doctor's office and he looked at my scans and my tests and he said to my mother, there's not a trace of epilepsy in this boy's life. There's no evidence that he suffers from epilepsy anymore and to me that was just yay no more medication no more no more tests no more hospitalization but looking back on that i remember now thinking to myself wow that's pretty impressive i didn't do that the medication didn't do that what stopped all of a sudden, my body no longer having these epileptic seizures. Well, now looking back, I realized that God had a plan for me. And if I'd got wrapped up in being this little epileptic that couldn't get anything done, couldn't get his schoolwork done, I would have never been able to be used by God. And so he put his hand of healing on me right back then already. I didn't even know who Jesus was at that time. I didn't care to confess or profess that I was Christian. No, I was just a little boy trying to handle a big, difficult situation. And there he came through. And he put his hand of healing on my life that day. And as a result, I've been able to get up every day and thank God for my health. And thank God that he's given me energy. He's given me faith. He's given me an ignition to get up and despite difficulty, grow in faith and not shrink back in faith. So whatever you're facing, know that God has already been there. God has already been in that situation. God has already healed in that situation. God has already touched in that situation. Read other people's testimonies. Find out their stories. Get into a space of always seeing God stepping into situations because then you'll know, as you know, that God will always step into your situation. And finally, when Saul saw David's efforts or his testimony of God in his life, And David had told Saul all about the previous interventions of God in his life. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Here was a man and a king that hadn't been professing God over the situation. And here comes this little boy, and because of his faith, the kingdom is straightened out again with God. The king professes the Lord The king starts believing again. And so you might find yourself in a situation, remember, your faith gives breed to hope, which gives story or gives wind to love, which is the testimony of God's faith and hope in you to others. Well, here we see that David had faith. He was able to walk it out in endurance, and as a result of that, a kingdom was changed. You can change the situation by simply standing up in the face of the situation, you can change the situation by doing all that God has asked you to do despite your circumstance. So, number two, always remember where God has been previously, always remember where there has been previous interventions by God in your life. Number three, draw close to the source of faith, draw close to the person who gave you the faith. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ordered anything on Amazon before or you've bought online and and, and you have to assemble whatever arrives, whatever's been delivered, and it's been made in, in one place, but it's been manufactured and put together in another, and the person who manufactured it puts the instructions together in a language trying to translate it into English you kind of struggle sometimes to find part A which has to go into, through part B and C at the same time. Have you ever had that experience of, of trying to read instructions uh, from, on a product that wasn't designed uh, in that language or, or the, the instructions weren't written by people who speak your language as their mother tongue? Well, here's the story. If we want to draw close to the person who gave us faith, we're going to be close to the person who can write the correct instructions on how to use our faith. We're not going to get some convoluted message. We're not going to get some instructions of parts that are missing or parts we can't find in in putting our faith together. No, if we're walking with the designer and the giver of faith, we'll be able to walk out a life in perfect divine faith. Am I making sense? Surely at home you are busy clapping and saying amen. That that is, yes, I'm going to walk closer to the giver of faith so I can walk out my life in divine faith. You see, if you have a look at at John chapter 6 and verse 63, it says this. The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. Have it with me now. And the very words I have spoken to you are the Spirit and life. You see, when we walk alongside the instruction, the word of the giver of faith, we will have the spirit of faith, and we will have a life of faith. When we work out the, the gifts... When we work out the blessing of working a life in faith, when, when works are born out of the gift of faith, this brings about life into your, into your situation. This brings about truth into your situation. But when we walk out the efforts or the, the so-called faith of human flesh, we accomplish nothing. That scripture says the spirit alone gives life, but human effort accomplishes nothing. We know that Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. We have to not only know the promises, we have to walk daily with the instructions given to us about our faith from the giver of faith. We have to walk daily with the life-giving word. It's not acceptable that you haven't been in the word for a little while, but you're complaining to your next door neighbor about the situation you're in. Stop complaining and start walking with the guy, the person, the being that can give you instructions on how to walk out a life of faith. Get up and go. Get up and be ignited. Get up and be passionate. If you want that, get up and go. Be soaking in this thing called the Bible. If you've never read the Bible from cover to cover because you think it's a boring book, I want to say to you, read it today and start finding ways and instructions on how to live a life of faith. Hear the story of Moses leaning over the Red Sea with nothing but a stick and defeating an entire Egyptian army just based on faith. And you know what God used? What was in his hand, what Moses already had. Hear the story of Joseph, who didn't have a principled law or a written set of instructions and in what he had to do, who knew in his heart what he had to do. And when he followed what God had placed in his heart, the entire nation, in fact, the entire known world prospered because of his faith. Know that Abraham, when he stepped out of his his known world into the unknown world in faith, changed and made it possible for you to receive everlasting life in the name of Jesus today because of his faith. Go ahead and read Hebrews chapter 11, the whole chapter, and find these stories that are in the Bible. And these stories will give you instruction on how to walk a life of passion and of faith. Daily draw close to the source of faith. You see, when we see the source, the, 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 the Bible tells us that the source of this kind of faith life is in the Word. It is in Jesus Christ. And so when we ask you to, to raise your hand or, or to respond to a message here on the online platform, we're asking you to say, yes, can you please send me more information on how I can walk my life with the Word, with Jesus Christ. And we gladly do that. From wherever you are in the world, we will send you resources. We will send you whatever it takes to make sure that you grow in your relationship with God and you grow close to the source of faith daily. Number four, my personal favorite. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. 1 Corinthians is just a little bit further left, I mean further right than, than Romans where you were earlier. But 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7 says this. Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you'll be like a flare, fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. What has that got to do with faith? Well, get rid of the old yeast. Get rid of the old way of thinking. The old way of thinking Remove the wicked person from your thought life. And if you're the wicked person, then remove the old man and put in a brand new man. Put in a whole new man that can be be right with God, on fire for God. Not depressed, not downcast, not looking, here's number four, not looking for excuses, but living an excuse-free life. We live an excuse-free life. We get rid of the the heist. We get rid of the the words. We get rid of the things that cause us to be down, that infest us, that that kind of stretch us and make us into a person that we know we're not supposed to be. We get rid of the negative talk and the gossip and the slander. No, we turn to the word of life, which is the good news, not the bad news, the good news of life for our life. We live an excuse-free life. Oh, but Craig, you know, I'm only this, and, and I only do that, and I'm, I'm just a plumber, or I'm just a doctor, or I'm just this, or I'm just that. You know what? One of the excuses that we have in life is that we often try to find value in what we do. And I, and I recently just went to the Lord, and He gave me a word on that, and if you've been finding value in what you do, this one's for you. You see, if you try and find value in what you do, that's only going to demean or diminish your value you're eventually going to get tired of doing what you do and as a result as your passion wanes for doing what you do your sense of value will wane in finding value in what you do but if you know your value before you do what you do that will only highlight your value David knew his value with a sling before he did what he did. He didn't run out there towards Goliath going, I think I can do this. I I, I hope I can do this. No, he knew his value before he did what he did. And that only highlighted his value. So don't find an excuse that you're only doing this or you're only that or you're only the other. No, live an excuse-free life. You have great value. You are a pearl of great price. Jesus Christ will lay down His body, sell a field, do whatever it takes to make sure that you know that you are valuable in the kingdom of God. And as a result, know of your value before you do what you do. Know of your value because then you can do anything. Anything is good and good because you know that you're adding your value through what you do. You see, we often come into life and we have 110 different excuses why we're not getting up and going. I've got this excuse. I've got that excuse. We need to change the way we think. We need to get rid of the yeast. We need to get rid of those excuses. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 27 says that Paul disciplines his body. He disciplines his body as an athlete. Disciplined in thinking, I will not allow those thoughts to become like a heast in my life. No, I'm going to allow the promise of God to become the focus in what I believe. I have to walk continually by faith. And we need to continually be disciplining our thought life into making sure that we don't have negative thoughts. Around here at Victory Life Church, we always say that we fill the gap with trust and not suspicion. You can take something and you can look at your next door neighbor or your friend and say, oh, they said this about me because I must be such a bad person or they such a bad person. No, I'd rather fill the gap with trust. They meant something else. I know what God means in that. Holy Spirit, teach me what I need to learn from what was said. Look for the trust. Don't look for the suspicion. Root out the negative and don't live your life by excuse. Walking by faith is walking by your spirit to consider God's word without considering the contrary information from your body. You need to choose in your mind that you're going to not believe the contrary information of your flesh, but you're going to believe God's word in your life all the time. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 17 calls a person with this kind of faith-filled mind, excuse-free mind, somebody who has a sound mind. And when you have a sound mind, there's some other qualities that come along with that. That's called love and called power. And finally, before we get on to communion, number five, both David and Jesus got mad at it. Number five, get mad. Get mad at it. I'm not talking about negative anger. I'm not talking about getting angry for the sake of getting angry. No. When Jesus saw the people in the temple that weren't supposed to be there, he got angry and he drove them out. When you see the cancer that is in your body and you look at it and you know that that cancer is not supposed to be there, get mad at it. In faith, stand up and say that cancer does not belong in my body. Get righteously indignant at what Satan is trying to use to put you down. Get mad at it. And like David in 1 Samuel chapter 17, when you slay that giant, you also walk up to him and hack its head off. You see, when Jesus tells us that we are more than conquerors, we don't just put our problem down, we kill the problem. We obliterate the problem in the power of Jesus. We have the same power on the inside of us that can conquer the grave. And so as a result, we don't just shrink back and sort of deal with something. No, we deal with it with a righteous indignation, a passion that makes sure that God's name is always supreme and we Always give him the glory. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 57 shows that David wasn't finished until the job was done. He wouldn't hold back and shrink back until it was finished. He got mad at it. He got righteously indignant at it. Jesus cleared the temple. You see, if we can live these five principles out, we can get these five principles into our minds, we can be walking out a life of passion, a life where nothing keeps us seated and everything gets us standing to our feet, ready to go. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Stand up and put on the full armor. All of these moments in Scripture where God tells you to move from your current position and ready yourself to get into a new position, that's called faith. No matter what it is, putting on the new man, you've got to stand up. You've got to do something to get the journey going. And to move you from your current situation into your God-given situation, you have got to put on this new gift of faith that God has given you because it will incur the hope and the endurance and all of the things that God has asked you to have because He knows much will be expected from you. Finally, when we have a look at the story of David, Acts chapter 13, verse 22 sums it up. It says this, But God removed Saul and replaced him with David. Note what he said. A man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, and he will do everything I want him to do. Are you positioned in your faith life right now to do whatever God asks you to do? Are you positioned in your faith life right now so nimble, so good to go, That you're sitting on the edge of your seat, ready to stand, ready to go. You're on the tips of your toes, ready to run. And you're just waiting and you're knowing that God is going to give you a direction. Are you in that space of faith? Or are you in that space of collapse? Where everything around you has got you down. Everything around you has got you told that you're not good enough. That you shouldn't even bother standing up in the morning. You see, we're spoiled brats when it comes to the things that the world tells us to do. We will not do them. And when the world tells us the things that we can't do, we get ready to do them. Because we are in opposition to this world. We can stand against that situation. We can stand against the the doctor's report. We can stand against a, a person that's told us bad things or a relationship that's caused us great hurt. We can stand against that. We will not be defeated. We are men and women all over the world who stand and do what God has asked us to do. Join me as we receive the communion, the elements of Jesus Christ, in standing up, wherever you are right now. If you can stand, stand. If you can't stand because of situation, stand in your heart with me and say with me, I will do whatever God asks me to do. You see, by standing up, by readying our hearts, we are now stepping not just into a life of faith, but according to 1 Thessalonians, We're now stepping into a life of endurance and a life of hope. Come back next week, next session, as we unpack what it means not only to get stirred up, but also constantly walk out where hope is not deferred, where we have the endurance to walk out the excitement that God has placed in us. Let's close in prayer before we go to the Lord's table, and then we will be ready for communion. Father, we thank you so very much that you have given us the gift of faith that stirs up in us a desire to get things done, to step out dangerously sometimes. But Father, we know that when we step out and we have our minds focused completely on Your Word, we are living excuse-free lives, that we are always drawing close to You as a source of our faith, that Father, You can and will deliver. Father, will You stir up in our memories the times when even though we weren't aware that You were there for us, so that we can bake, we can build, we can make sure that the yeast is removed and the bread is good and that we can move forward knowing that you can be trusted. Father, thank you for this word of faith that you have given us tonight and today for whatever time we're in. Father, thank you that we can be together and we can be stirred in faith, ready to take the next step in hope and endurance. Father, thank you that you gave us the gift of love, which was the greatest out of these three. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. And all of God's people all over the world said, amen and amen. You see, when we come together from all over the world on a Wednesday or a Thursday or during the midweek services, we usually break bread and and have a, a little celebration of what Jesus has already done for us. Part of having a life of faith is knowing that what He has said has been accomplished has already been accomplished. And by breaking bread and drinking of a cup, and that bread could be a stick of gum or a cup of coffee. It doesn't matter what you've got. Uh, it's, it's just simply coming together and saying, yes, we believe that what Jesus said he came to do has been done. What did he say he came to you do for you? He came to take you from the miry mess of life and lift you up to a better life, to give you life, to give you an eternal life to give you a restored relationship with God, one that you might have been running away from for some time. And so what he did was he broke his body. He died on the cross and said, you know what, I am going to die, not just to die for these people, but to show that not only can I die, but because of the power of God, I can be resurrected on the third day. So take eat and know that this is body, that was Jesus's body that was broken and was made whole. He was resurrected from the dead. A whole new man ready to show you that not even death can stand in your way in your belief in Jesus Christ. Take heed to know that this is Jesus' body that was broken for you. The cup was a symbol of the fact that Jesus' blood was a covenant that what He said would happen. He said that you would have an abundant life. He said that He would give you protection. He said that He would provide eternal life for you. He said that He would go away and prepare a place for you in the heavens. He said that you will have power even beyond His own. He said that you would have the Holy Spirit to guide you and lead you. And everything He said, He was willing to shed His blood to let you know that it would come to pass. So take, drink, and know that the shedding of Jesus' blood means that his word is true and it is true for you. Father, we thank you for reminding us what Jesus has done and that what he said he would do is complete. Father, we thank you that the power he said he had he has given us. We thank you that we can stand up despite our circumstance and we can know that you have given us the ability to stand and also the ability to walk towards your love, towards your hope and endurance. Father, thank you for this gift of faith. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so very much for joining us. Hope to see you during this weekend. Pastor Dwayne is back in the house and starts a brand new series entitled Mind Renewal. So be sure to join us this weekend as we have Brother Dwayne back. And then join us again next week for part three of Faith, Hope, and Love.